0: Welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, The Youth Are Getting Restless with SST228, the Bad Brains Spirit Electricity EP. We love the Bad Brains. There's no surprise there. You've heard us spiel about them endlessly. We've had them on a ton of times on the show, Bad Brains and HR. Always look forward to getting into a Bad Brains release. But this episode, we've got a special guest and a new one to the pod. Yeah, we've got uh, Bad Brains manager Anthony County on the show. Yeah, very cool to see Anthony join the Mojack family. Yeah. Before we do that, Brand, why don't you hit us with some spiels? Okay. I want to talk about this
1: Seattle band called Bam Bam. Do you know them? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm sure I'd heard this band mentioned in books or interviews at some point, and I bet you have too, and it just didn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, triggers anything in your brain. But I recently saw something online somewhere about them that grabbed my attention. So I investigated a little bit further. And then a month ago, uh, the latest issue of the great British magazine Classic Rock showed up in the mail. And there's a great history of the band uh, done by Polly Glass. She calls them Seattle's Great Forgotten Band. Hard to argue with that. The core of the band was Tommy Martin the guitarist and vocalist Tina Bell who were married Uh, they were a couple bassist Scott Ledgerwood um, he says in the article Bam Bam was schizophrenic music wise we used to joke that we were the only people who liked Black Flag and Black Sabbath and we borrowed from them all it was like we don't like arena rock and punk rock is too limited so you know that sounds familiar right there right Ryan, like, I mean, half of the, the scene in Seattle ended up basically saying that same thing, Black Flag and Black Sabbath. And Bam Bam was also on the tree, by the way, their drummer was Matt Cameron.
0: Oh, maybe that's why I know them.
1: Yeah. Uh, Tina, by the way, uh, also was a black woman, which was definitely unique in punk rock in the Mm eighties. So, you know, she was a total trailblazer in every sense. Her and Tommy lived pretty hard lives. Uh, You know, unfortunately, they've both passed away. Lots of dysfunction in their relationship. Lots of substance abuse issues. Their son, TJ Martin, gets interviewed for this article. He's an interesting dude in his own right. He's a filmmaker uh, who won an Emmy for his 2017 documentary on the LA riots called LA 92. And he won an Oscar for his 2011 high school football documentary called Undefeated. And he also recently co-directed a documentary about the life of Tina Turner called Tina. He's, oh, I've,
0: I've seen that one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so he says in the article, um, here's what he says. Especially in the context of grunge, there were tons of women at the center of that movement that are not celebrated today. Mm-hmm. No one knows who the fuck Susan Silver is, Mia Zapata, women who were behind the scenes, Megan Jasper at Sub Pop. There's a tonne. This idea that we don't see color, we don't see gender, is just bullshit. That's what TJ says in this article. Musically, I mean, Tina was just a a fantastic soul-type singer. Um, The band just, like, was kind of all over the map. Uh, That's not to suggest that it wasn't, you know, cohesive. There's songs that sound like early X. There's straight-up proto-grunge, post-punk. They're... Releases were sporadic, a self-released single in eighty-four, some self-released cassettes. There's a twelve inch EP that came out this year that collects the single and some other tracks called Villains Also Wear White, as well as a digital comp called Free Fall from Space and a Demos compilation from 84, all recent recently remastered by Jack and Dino. Scott Ledgerwood, the bassist, kind of, you know, archives all of this stuff. Go to his website buttocksproductions.com to read more and find links to the bandcamp, etc. You're going to want to check out Bam Bam, Ryan. I do. Okay, Ryan, a couple of rock docs.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, neither of these are super new, just new to me. Uh, The first one I'll mention falls under the category of shame on me for not seeing this until now. Not sure what the hell I was thinking. I'm talking about Bob Hannon's 2016 documentary on the melvins called colossus of destiny yeah man which to be fair didn't come you know didn't become more widely available until late last year either way if you haven't seen this yet do it now it's two hours long but doesn't feel like it it covers virtually every aspect of their career some amazing footage they talk to virtually everyone some key former bassists uh, namely, Lorax, Mark D, and Joe Preston declined to be interviewed, but everyone else is there. What the the film really drove home for me uh, was Dale and especially Buzz's incredible work ethic, a- and also, I mean, I already knew what amazing drummer Dale is, and what a unique drummer he is, but mm-hmm. you know, you you kind of forget.
0: <laughs> Same with Buzz too. Like they've oh, yeah. they've been together for so long and. Every variation of Melvin's is purely, you know, it's, a, it's Melvin's. There's a lot of imitators, um, but no one can do exactly what they do. And it's because of Buzz and Dale. And then every time they get a new, whether it's Steve or Pincus or whoever, you know, a new flavor. Just yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to watch them
1: kind of, like, struggle to fill that base role. And then it's like they just had an epiphany one day. It's like, we can just... It can be anyone. It can be anyone. And we can <laughs> and when we do put someone in there, we can play around with that and experiment with the sound. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it's Dale yeah. on bass. Yeah. And I mean they're still putting out amazing records. So uh yeah, watch that documentary. It you know, I, I Melvins was my favorite were my favorite band at one point in time. And I, I maybe overdid it a little bit with the Melvins. So I kind of don't go back to those early ones so much, but I did this week after watching this.
0: They're also super prolific, especially in like the last 15 years, which makes it hard to keep up with the Melvins, frankly.
1: Yeah, love the Melvins. Remember when we saw them, Ryan, opening for No
0: Means No? I don't remember seeing the Melvins open for No Means No. Yeah, well, they did. What? Yeah. Yeah. Buzz. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I remember. Yeah, in Calgary.
1: Yeah, Buzz was side stage, watching No Means No. It was awesome.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. That was the big business version of the band. Yep, it was. Oh, man, wow. I guess... Well, I've seen both bands a ton of times. Yeah. (laughs) And I forgot the one where they opened for the other. Yeah. Good call. That's right. We were smashed against the front there, boy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Okay,
1: the other... Rock Doc, I'll mention real quick that that I thoroughly enjoyed, which came out last year, is Gracie Otto's "Under the Volcano." Do you know what this is, Ryan? I've heard the name, I can't remember it. Okay, so when the Beatles split up, their famed producer George Martin wanted to do something different, and on a trip to the to some islands in the Caribbean, um, he went to this island, Montserrat, and he decided to build like a an isolated. Destination Recording Studio at the base of a volcano. Yeah, yeah, this is good, hey? Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, So it came to be called Air Studios. The island itself was just very small, was just kind of a place out of time. You know, all of the musicians who came there fell in love with it. And the locals all partied with the musicians and worked at the studio. Um, The list of albums that was recorded there is just insane, like Dire Straits Brothers in Arms. The Police, Ghost in the Machine, and Synchronicity, mm-hmm. Rolling Stone, Steel Wheels, a bunch of Elton John's albums, so much stuff, so many famous albums, uh, lots of amazing archival footage of the making of these albums, present day interviews with many of the, the musicians, including all three members of The Police. Ryan, I know you're you're a fan, so oh yeah, um, I won't spoil the story about what happened to the studio and the island itself. Um, but you really should watch it. One of the best music docs I've seen in some time. I just totally loved it. I'm actually going to rewatch it with my wife, who would generally be totally uninterested in super nerdy and specific music docs. Uh, but it's just such fantastic storytelling that I, I think anybody would, would enjoy it.
0: Cool. Yeah, yeah I've, I as soon as you started describing it, I'm like, oh, no, 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 I've seen that one. I actually kind of dismissed it, I would yeah. say. Not that I wouldn't ever watch it, but I've put it very low down the list. Yeah, well, I mean, those are some pretty mainstream
1: albums, right? But like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you know, like you've said before, you can read any book about music and, and enjoy it. This pretty is much. Kind of the same, same thing for me. Right on. And I mean, some of those albums are good. I mean, I listen to Dire Straits all the time and that Brothers in Arms
0: album is good. Oh yeah, it's probably my least favorite Dire Straits albums. I I prefer the uh, the first three, you know, yeah. making movies, Communicate, and uh, self titled. I yeah. think those, yeah, those are. And then the the live BBC Dire Straits record is Insanity. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's all I have, Ryan. What do you have? Cool. I've got. Um, well, actually, you know what? Before I jump into my my main spiel, I'm just going to mention you were mentioning Tina from Bam Bam and something hit the wire this morning. I don't know if you saw that, or at least it hit the wire for me, but DH from Dead Kennedys passed away. Unfortunately, I don't know if you saw that. Oh, it's pretty hard to miss, man. He was well-loved and
1: yeah. you know, everybody in, in my feed was talking about it. A- and a yeah. lot of the, you know, I, a lot of the, the SST folks that I've gotten to know, you know, on Facebook and stuff, like it was pretty obvious that he was a super well-liked guy and, and oh yeah yeah and, for sure. and, and totally influential as well
0: yeah um definitely made me pause this morning when i picked up my uh my phone and started seeing all the posts about how important dh was to my musical kind of formation yeah. because dead kennedy's was right there at the beginning right right there at the beginning for me um, I I went through the Mojack stacks and I pulled out just a couple of choice things, but the one that stuck out for me the most is this one, the Rhino records, dead Kennedy's live at the Broadway, San Francisco. This is my original VHS tape and DH is right there on the front. I remember this concert, like, like I've watched it so many times. Yeah. Jello, Jello's green gloves, Klaus fluorides, Lake Placid blue jazz bass. Like I remember all of it, but D.H. just going insane on the kit, singing along and wearing that JFA T-shirt. Yeah. It is it is tattooed on my brain. D.H. from a very, very young age. Um, just love uh, all the music that he's involved in. And check out Pellegro, uh, the band that he kind of fronted. There's some cool stuff there too, but I wanted to just mention, I'm not sure that we've mentioned this on the show before, but this excellent book yeah. called... Dreadnought, King of Afropunk, and it's it's by DH, and it was put out, uh, let me just see here, I, I literally just pulled this off the shelf as I was heading to the microphone here this morning, uh, 2013 on Barnacle Books uh, and Rare Bird Books. We've talked about Rare Bird, that publisher, before on the show, but this book by DH is great. He definitely had a hard time as a black musician in punk and was the subject of racism for sure. And then there was also some substance abuse, but, um, man, big loss, big, big loss to lose DH. And, uh, this is a great book. Take some time, put on some dead Kennedys, dial up this book. Uh, I know I'm going to be, uh, playing some DK today, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, okay. So my uh, regularly scheduled spiel is called Records, Books, and Tools. Tools? Well, I'm just playing on the name of that band, right? Gun, oh. guns, guns, Book, and Tools. I don't really have any tools. Okay. But uh, Records, Books, and Tools. Here we go, okay? So a bit of a catch-up. On, uh, I'm going to kind of read the news for you a bit because uh, we've had some specific spiels over the last month and a half or so, and I've got a backlog, okay? So here we go some watch-outs, some recommends, and all rapid-fire so we can get to Spirit Electricity. The Nils have got a new EP out. Yeah. Five Roses. They're, si- they're <laughs> sing... Oh. I just, it's funny
1: you mentioned that. I, I had a note about that later on, but sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, man, am I spiel-scooping no, no, already? No, not at all. Okay, I don't want to scoop your spiel, man. Anyways, there's single fourth line, it's available now. Can't wait to get that legendary Canadian punk band, melodic punk band, influential on Husker Du, still kicking it, got a new EP out. Check that one out. Uh, From Chicago, a favorite of mine, Meat Wave, a band, has released a new LP, Malign Hex, top 10 material for me for 2022, perhaps. Definitely check that one out. And uh, speaking of the noisy stuff, Dead from Australia have released a new record on Learning Curve Records, The Laughing Shadow. You might remember I mentioned Dead a few years back. Uh, you checked them out, kind of Melvinsy. Yeah. So so check out Dead, a great record, a new one from uh, the guys from Down Under. Finally got in the mail my double LP, Jawbox Live at the Metro 2019 on Arctic Rodeo Records. Just so killer. I need, I need more Jawbox. They are a band that if they put out new music right now, you just know it would rule mm-hmm. so hard. Mm-hmm. D- you guys got to do that uh manor Man, or Astorman, new double seven inch out on chunklet i will always follow manor astraman this one is called distant pulsar and you know if you know manor astraman this is going to be good uh, a, a band that you have mentioned before on the show brandt the hated remember the hated from annapolis maryland you've mentioned them way way back
1: yeah
0: vaguely yeah so um kind of I guess lumped in with emo type of music, I would suppose, in the 80s, like really early stuff, right? Proto-emo, maybe? I don't know. But anyways, Numero has released some of their their tracks digitally, but now we've got a physical release. It is a re-release of their debut 1985 cassette, The Best Piece of Shit, Volume 3. Uh, Definitely check out The Hated on Numero it's uh it's great to get that stuff like more available. Did I they, would say did they
1: play with treacherous? Is that why we mentioned the hated?
0: Ooh, might have been,
1: hmm.
0: might have been. I don't know. Uh, they're kind of every now and then lumped in with the DC scene,
2: hmm.
0: you know. But uh, th- and they're not the hated from California. There's a hated from California. This is the Annapolis, Maryland hated. Okay. You know I'm a Zappa freak, so we've got two Zappa releases that have come out in addition to the Zagreb. Double CD. There is the Waka Wazoo 50th Anniversary 5 CD box set. That's an era of Zappa that I love, 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 and I can't wait to hear all of the official uh, unreleased tracks. I've got some, you know, unofficial stuff kicking around, but man, I will always dig into a new Zappa box set and immerse myself in that for a week or so. And then, um, as a final mention, before I go onto the SS Tree, I've got. A release in what zone, Brand? Uh the Comp Zone. (laughs) (laughs) Always some new flavor to the Comp Zone. Out on Lost Sounds, Montana. This is probably the best scene comp, or at least the one that's caught my attention most of all in recent memory. I ordered it like immediately. It's called Without Warning. Early Montana, punk, post-punk, new wave, and hardcore, 1979 to 1991. Comes out on a double LP, big booklet, just looks, super high quality. Early recordings by Steve Albini's band, Just Ducky. Mm. Or speaking of Seattle, Jeff Amet's band, Deranged Diction. Also early recordings by Silkworm, Steel Pole Bathtub. The The list goes on and on. Definitely check out Without Warning. That looks like a great scene comp. It's making me think of that Rocky Mountain Low comp a little exactly, bit. Exactly, exactly. Um, over to the S.S. Tree. We've got a new digital release by Split Single. This is, of course, Jason narducci's band. Jason narducci bass player for Bob Mold's band. He released a, uh, a digital EP of, a, I think it's five songs, called Collado. And it's basically... Uh, at least on my first look, on my first listen, acoustic versions of songs from Split Singles' 2021 record Amplificado, which I quite enjoyed when it came out. I listen to that one every now and then st- still. So Split Single, check out, new digital EP. And then Field Day, the Dag Nasty guys, yeah. they, they've they got a, a new 12-inch coming out called Acquisition in late November. It's a 13-song collection. Of previously released tunes but two are exclusive to this release so if you're a field day completist then you've got to get acquisition and then finally brandt i don't know who's on first but watts on bass that's right and while you're listening to mike watt what should you be eating let me think well you never spiel before the meal so some mike watt hot sauce maybe that's right you got to put some watt sauce on <laughs> when you're when you're listening to some mike watt and uh, out on red Parakeet Records Mike Watt and the Second Men they do a cover of the Big Boys song We Got Soul and then it's a split single speaking of split singles because on the flip is Tim Kerr and his new band Up on the Sun they do History Lesson Part 2 by the Minutemen of course so you've got a Watt and Tim Kerr split single out there on the SS tree. Watt's on bass you know that one's going to be good right on and then over to books. I've got two to mention really quick here. Henry Rollins put out a new edition of Stay Fanatic, Volume Three. That's out on 21361. It's a follow-up to his 2020 Volume Two edition of Stay Fanatic. Every every copy is signed by Henry. It mentions in the the ads and the posts and stuff. You know, you would have seen him have this with him during his spoken word tour. And now available online. Well, I'm sorry, in Canada it was not available at the shows, which was lame. And then a follow-up to a book mention I made a few weeks or maybe even months back out on Space Case Records by Ryan Leach. You can now get a physical copy of the book on the urinals and a hundred flowers called A Brief History of the Urinals and a Hundred Flowers. It's a pocketbook, uh, but this physical copy has got an expanded collection of photos. And, you know, I love my photos when I'm reading through an old band book, especially you know, a relatively undocumented band like Urinals and 100 Flowers. Like, there's lots out there on them, sprinkled everywhere, but what in one place like this, so cool. Space Case seems to only plan, I, or I guess their shipping is only really set up to ship to the US. So I reached out to him, I said, hey, man, like, how about to Canada? And then Moore reached right back out and he said, dude, let's get you hooked up. We'll nice. ship to Canada. Nice. So, uh, Reach out to more at Space Case for the hookup if you're outside of the U.S. as well. That's it, man. Right on. I was really worried for you with that book. We were texting about it a little bit and I was, you seemed really stressed out. I was stressed that it was, I wasn't (laughs) going to get a copy of that one because I, you know what? The urinals are one of the last pre-pandemic shows I went to, kind of. Like, I don't know. I just, I love, I look, I love Trotsky. I, I love all that stuff. Um, but the urinals and 100 flowers will always be number one for me. So the, the opportunity to get a book and just, I don't know, what do you call it? Brant thumb through the book. You come sure. through. The, yeah. Yeah. Leaf okay. Through it maybe. Yeah. Okay. So the opportunity to do that, um, I'm all over it. So anyways, man, that's it for me. What do you say? Do you got that PMA
2: history
1: lesson part one?
0: So we just had a relevant episode recently we had sst 224 the hr record singing in the heart where we had william banks as a guest on there and i did a bit of a bad brains slash hr rundown then so people can go back to 224 unless you want me to go through it again do you want me to go through it again like what what are my orders here do you want me to go through the whole list or are you going to go through that man the list of of bad brains releases yeah like the episodes that we've done is that is that passe i don't know sure rapid fire rapid fire you don't have to do hr do bad brains though oh my gosh okay well now i got to go and flip back in my in my trapper keeper here i didn't know this was this was totally uncalled for all right here we go so um, episode 65 i against die and that's a really good one to go back to because that's where we are in the history of bad brains right now we're like right after i against die then we did uh, episode one hundred and sixty, the live record with Daryl Jennifer, and that again will come up as part of this episode. And then that's it. Those are those are the two Bad Brains episodes we've done before this one. The rest are all HR related episodes. And if you want to dig deep into HR, our most recent episode two twenty four. Yeah, I'm sure we've seen them on a few comps as well, like Program
1: Annihilator two. I think they were on, and probably something else that I'm I'm not mm. remembering. So I'll I'll do a Kind of a brief recap of this era, because I know we've talked about this probably on both of those episodes. But So, after splitting up in late 83, they reunited for the first time in July of 85. Their first shows after reuniting were at the infamous Rock Hotel in New York. They played a two-night stand on Friday, July 19th with Raw Power and Scab. (laughs) I don't know who Scab is, but that's a cool band name. And on Saturday, July 20th, with Chromags and PMS, Paul Wexler, who we just talked about in our HR Singing from the Heart episode, uh, mixed the band for those shows. And uh, I asked him about it, and he sent me a voice memo. Ryan, what? Yeah, I'm gonna play it. You ready?
0: Okay. Do you have to move your microphone next to your your speaker output, or you get to just crank it? No, I have it set up here.
1: We'll see. Okay. If, we'll see if this works. Hold on. Let's do it
3: hired by the band's manager, Anthony County. I was not working as the house sound guy. And indeed, I'd done some studio work, but I wasn't. Anyway, so Anthony and I rang out the room. We got like a white noise generator to like balance out the PA so we get the maximum out of it. And then, um, well, all I can say is the band started and I didn't really have to push the faders that much for the bass and the guitar, so much noise was coming off the stage, and it got louder and louder. And I just had to uh, make sure that the drums were behind it and and solid and loud, and that the vocal was on top of it. And it was like, you know, but luckily the PA was good enough. You know, it managed to keep up with the the amount of stage volume, and it was nuts. It was like, uh, people went bananas, the audience went crazy. I was just totally involved with trying to stay on top of the mix. And uh, the band was happy with it. Anthony was happy with it, you know. And so uh, it was a successful evening.
1: <laughs> so there you go. Thanks to to Paul for sending that in. Sounds like you know, obviously it would have been just an insane show. Um, yeah. You know, with the you know with the bad brains coming back and stuff like that after splitting up.
0: Yeah. So we do voice memos now. I guess so. Yeah. I've, I'm worried about the floodgates now being open. I think that people are a you know, voice memo you to death. You know, what was Ryan talking about? Earcom three isn't a triple seven inch; it's a double seven inch. Blah blah blah. No, no worries. I hope not. Okay. Okay. So after playing a string of
1: shows, including one opening for Slayer and Megadeth at the Ritz in New York, <laughs> they recorded Eye Against Eye, which came out in October of '86. They then went on their Eye Against Eye U.S. tour. Many of their shows with Dr. No, the band. The Richmond shows were with Alternatives. And then in Austin, Dallas, and Phoenix, they played with Saccharine Trust and Gone. Oh. So that's
0: you know kind of the era we're in right now. Yeah. Just think of all the players at those shows, man. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. oh my God, just totally
1: killing it. Yeah. Uh, the Eye Against I release show was at the 930 Club in D.C. on October 16th. 1986. According to the liner notes on this EP, and I'm sure we've talked about this before, and we do talk about it with Anthony as well, they recorded shows in Providence, Rhode Island. They played The Living Room in Providence on October 24th, 1986. Um, They played well into December of 86, took a few weeks off in January of 87, and then played more U.S. dates, including The Living Room again on January 16th with Guest's Verbal Assault. They wrapped up U.S. dates by the end of March, took April off, and by May of 87 they were playing across Europe, including a bunch of dates in the Netherlands, opening for Firehose. One of those dates, May 31st, 1987 to be exact, was recorded and later released in 1990 as the classic live album The Youth Are Getting Restless, live at the Paradiso Amsterdam. I wonder if that Firehose set was
0: recorded. I bet you it is. I've got a set. I've got a live tape. Hold on a second. Hold on. Nope, I'm wrong. My live fire hose tape is live from Electric Lady Studios, NYC Firehose and Gumball, March 15th, 93. Hmm. That's, it's a fire hose and gumball split cassette. Dang it.
1: I've got some fire hose boots, so I'm going to dig around and see if, if the, I have that set. You'd think that would be one of the more famous fire hose boots live boots if it does exist because the recording would be so good you know
0: yeah it'd be totally econo too because they're set up to record
1: yeah uh bad brains wrapped their euro tour in on june 4th 1987 with a at a show at planet x in liverpool with napalm death and walking seeds Ooh, i
0: like walking seeds napalm death that's probably your more (laughs) more probably more your style yeah you just got to mention Slayer and Megadeth and, and Napalm Death and everything in this this spiel. You must be loving it.
1: So they played one more sh- uh, show when they got back home in New York with Circle Jerks, Living Color, and Leeway. Oh. That's it for 87. I assume at this point HR and Earl uh, leave again to work on SST 117, the Human Rights album, yeah, which came out November of 87. The Bad Brains played around 10 shows in May and June, Uh, around the New York area. I assume with Mackie on drums and Taj uh, Singleton on vocals. This is in 88. And at some point in 88 SST 160 live comes out and by April 89 HR and Earl are back in the band for the Quickness album and the tour. And although Earl didn't play play drums on Quickness. By late 89 they're, they're both out of the band again uh, in 1990, The Youth Are Getting Restless is released. By mid-91, Ex-Faith No More vocalist Chuck Mosley is in on vocals and they're touring again. At some point in 91, this release came out, the one we're talking about tonight, which which means, Ryan, SST was holding this catalog number for two years. Yeah, that's bizarre. Pretty soon we're going to be getting into some more, some blanks in the in the catalog numbers. So, you know, we'll never know what was slated for that to be released there,
0: but would be amazing to know more so in the 300s though right yeah so when you say pretty soon you mean four years from now yeah (laughs) it's true yeah let's just let's just be clear yeah the rest of bad brains history
1: has been you know well documented in books and and documentaries so i'll just leave it at that but unfortunately ryan our time with the bad brains is over after this release i believe and uh there's still some more hr to come though so We'll have, yeah. we'll have that to look
2: forward
0: to yeah it is quite amazing when you put on a bad brains record and you're kind of like oh i've heard this a million times before like since i was 12 13 14 i've been listening to this forever right nothing to see here i'll just kind of go through the motions and listen to some bad brains but every single time the power is quite extraordinary like you have to really take note at just the insanity and the amazing amazing tracks and musicianship like even how many times have i listened to this 10 inch spirit electricity and then you know Docs shredding you know i've never listened to it quite the way i did this week and i'm just like oh my god yeah these insane. guys they're <laughs> just incredible man incredible yeah hey let's throw it over to anthony
1: all right we're joined on the podcast today by anthony county anthony thanks for being on the show Sure, no problem. I'm, I'm glad to help you out. All right, so uh, going back a ways, when and how did you first get involved with Bad Brains?
4: Oh, well, um, I saw them, I, uh, people told me about them. When, the first time I came across them was Black Flag played at A7. And uh, Keith, I, I after the show, I was like, you guys are really amazing. I mean, I was going to a lot of punk shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is 79, 80. Like probably seventy nine, and uh I was just like, "You guys are re- that's really that's the most ha- half, you know like practice punk band of the of the whole scene." I and mean, you know we had a lot of
1: you know the undead
4: and right. pop tones, a lot of great bands, but uh they weren't all that practice. But those guys were. But Keith was like, "Oh man, we suck." <laughs> you got to hear this band from D.C., Bad We They opened for us, blew us off the fucking stage. That was <laughs> 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 so funny. <laughs> no shit, okay. So uh, they showed up about a year later in New York. I saw them play
2: mm-hmm. at Rose
4: Garden. But they'd been playing, I, I just had missed them. They, they had been playing uh, Max's Kansas City and
2: CB's.
4: And I just, I didn't, uh, I didn't catch those early shows.
1: Uh, Was managing bands something you were already doing or wanting to do, or did you just fall into it?
4: No, I was, was, well, my, you know, I was definitely hanging around with a managing band crew and people who are into music, and I've always been into music, and I did manage bands, I managed a band when I was in high school, a a blues band,
2: Mm -hmm.
4: great blues band, I
1: So, like, what year would you have officially started working with the Bad Brains.
4: Eighty
1: two. Mm. Okay.
4: Beginning of eighty
1: two. Yeah. What can you tell me about this pre eye against I era, you know, this era where Doc and Daryl are playing with Michael and Kruma. What can you tell me about that?
2: Well
4: you know, the band after the uh you know, I mean when I showed up the Rick Rick recorded Bad Brains in Boston at his studio. Mm-hmm in early 82. The uh, Roar cassette was already out, but it came out about that same time. And the band you know, nearly got signed to, to Electra in 83. Yep. After touring, actually toured the States in 82 again. They toured the States 81 and 82. In 81 it was only a few shows, 82 it was more shows. Um, right. It was it was hard to keep gas in the truck. Of course, it was, it was nothing. There was nothing out there practically except L. A. and New York, and San Francisco, right, Baltimore, Detroit, and Chicago, or something, but not much. So uh, yeah, yeah, so the band. So after the band didn't sign with Elektra, basically it broke up. H. R. Um, wanted to do another band. He was. He wanted to. He he wanted. He was about starting a band called Zion Train. he didn't want to be called Bad Brains anymore. Mm-hmm. This is 1983. <laughs> as soon as we were back from Europe, HR is like, well, that was that. Okay, we did Bad Brains. Now let's do Zion Train, which is going to be all reggae. And Doc and Daryl, of course, weren't ready for that. I mean, so the band basically came unglued. And then Michael Nkrumah was was another um Jamaican in D.C. He and a Bill Banks, great guitar player, bass player, really, really good musician, really tasteful dude. He's, in, he's, in, he's out in uh, Arizona now, mm-hmm. but he, uh, he and Michael had like three tracks that they put together, and they were pretty good. They were pretty good. So Doc and Darryl wanted to work with him and. I took them into the studio. And we recorded, I guess we recorded two tracks initially. And then a third track, there was a fourth track, I don't think it ever did get recorded as far as I can tell. So um, the first track was called Session. Second track was Metro Rider. The third track is called Time. Mm. They're now available. Michael and Krumah has put them out.
1: Yeah, I saw that. Yeah,
4: found the ma- I found the masters. I had the masters, and I let Michael know I had them, and then I had to see if the masters were functional. They were pretty old.
2: Yeah,
4: and I, some, and they got, we, I took them to uh, Steve Rosenthal in New York, who recovers tape, and they're, they're like the they're the recovery guys. And they were able to uh, digitalize the whole thing. They were able to get the sound off perfectly. Mm-hmm. So um, Michael got got masters for those tracks. And he put them together with uh, like nine other tracks of his own. Yeah. And put them out. It's his game. It's fine. They were his own.
1: Was there ever, ever any discussion about carrying on his Bad Brains at this point with a different singer?
4: No. No, no. Michael was like is Michael.
1: Yeah.
4: So it was like it became Michael and Kruma and the I. <laughs> right. Me and I. Ah, okay. Yep, that makes sense. It made sense. And look, see, and I guess Mackie Jason was the drummer on that project. Mm-hmm. Who became the the drummer in uh in Harley's band, um, Harlan Johns' band, um, Chromags. Yep. It's amazing. They never released anything on SST. They should have. That yeah. They released on a label in New York that paid them absolutely nothing.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> they could have gotten that from Greg. Yeah, <laughs> and at least they've been in a better crew, and and the the record wouldn't have become totally obscure. Right, it would be still in some catalog.
1: How does Phil Burnett come into the picture? I know he he uh, worked as a an engineer on Eye Against Eye. Was he uh, Ron Saint Germain's guy, or was he like did he work? He
4: didn't say he you could say he was Ron Saint Germain's guy or you could say Ron Saint Germain was his guy I mean, right. he was younger than Ron, uh-huh. but he was ge- he's a genius engineer
2: yeah he's
4: brilliant he's a brilliant engineer and uh, so he <clears throat> he and I put together a recording and he really he did the all the you know he knew the people and he got that was WGBH I think recorded um, the track um on this record that are from Providence and we recorded it in the living room i was going to say it, it, it was it was a real recording truck mm-hmm. i mean it was wgbh's truck it was really well well put together
1: so the the record- british band gbh had a had a no
4: no 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 it's it's a it's a it's a a radio station
1: uh-huh. <laughs> That
2: makes more sense.
4: GBH. WGBH. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a a radio station. It's not that GBH. It's (laughs) another (laughs) GBH. That would be pretty funny.
1: Okay, so that's how the Providence stuff came about. I know they played there twice on the tour, once in 86 and once in 87. So both at the living room.
4: And we played the living room a lot of times. Mm Mm-hmm certainly those two, um, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure which year, um, we did this. It may have been 87. I can't tell. I, I, it's like, we were trying to figure that out. You know, I could go through boxes of paper and I'd find, you know, and also, um, uh, you know, calendars and stuff like that. You know, I'd find references to. Right. Contact so and so on date, so we get in the truck there. You know, that kind of minutiae.
1: This would have been something that you you and the band set up to make happen, or SST was part of setting up this this mobile no, unit? It,
4: it, yeah, it'd be me, me and the band, or me and Phil.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. And Phil was in the truck when this was recorded? Like you brought him I out know, there he, to record it?
4: No, he mixed it in the house. Oh, he just set up, made sure they got everything flat, and nice. On and, and those guys knew what they were doing, you know, recording a live recording, and uh, you just don't let anything get overdriven. Oh, <laughs> I see. It right.
1: So, so Phil was like the front of house guy for the for the Bad Brains. Yes, he was at that point front of house too. Uh, okay, I see. For the whole tour. Oh
4: yeah, I was trying the house before Phil came. But when I found after I'd found Phil, they were happy. They wanted Phil to do it because Phil didn't feed back. It's like I was good, but I but I would sometimes it took me a while to get systems under control. I didn't understand what Phil did, so I wasn't able to do sound checks that were effective enough to be sure that shit wasn't going to come unglued
2: during the show. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I dubbed better. <laughs>
1: Uh, okay, so um, we were talking before we we started recording here about the other show that was recorded was in Los Angeles, but you're not sure where.
4: No, we don't know. It was a, it was a club in Los Angeles, and the the live recording was done by a out of a, a like a, a car or a truck, small setup. Hmm. That was a, a woman that Phil knows, and he didn't give me her name yet. Hmm. I don't. I don't have her name. I wish I did. So she recorded, and he wasn't sure if it was a uh, eight or sixteen track. I never saw those masters that were done out there. The masters from the East Coast, from Providence, from GBH, I did see. I had them in my possession for a while. But we we had them at um, Soundworks, where we had mixed eye against eye.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And then they, when Soundworks closed in the uh, was mid to late '80s, and all the tapes were got put into storage at um, Think, uh, not at Syncro, at Sigma Sound Mm. in New York, not Sigma Philly, Sigma in New York. So they were all there, and SST Greg pulled all of his tapes, all the masters, all the mixes that were all there. Physically. He pulled them all b- back to L.A. Right. and And uh, since, since, as far as I can tell, they've been lost.
1: Yeah, huh. That's too I bad. To re-
4: yeah, well, they're, I don't think they are actually lost. They're, I think they're in the possession of one of the, either one of the bands that was on SST as well, or the, the mother of one of the bands, who can't be alive still, but... Hmm but I'm sure they know where those masters Someone knows where those masters are still, because what, you know, this is like, one of the wonderful things about SST is they put out so many great records. Yep. And the downside of that is Greg didn't pay any of us, anybody, anything for yeah. years. Yeah. So a lot of bands got really pissed off and would like stomp in there and they grab shit and carry it away. Like, you know, I'm taking this computer, fuck you. (laughs) You know, that kind of shit. (laughs) He was not keeping up with anybody. Yeah. And they, I mean, I remember I was approached by a number of other, of the managers at the time, I don't want to mention, but the obvious ones, who did get out of their deals with SST by suing them.
2: Yeah.
4: But I didn't want to do that because I was like, well, you know, he, it's not like he's going on vacation with our money. He's not that kind of a thief. He's like creating this massive archive.
2: Right,
1: yeah. Of
4: extremely obscure, weird records. <laughs> <laughs> so, as fucked up as it is and as hungry as we all are. <laughs> yeah. I, I, can't, I can't see taking the man to court. So... He came through on us. He came. Greg did come through finally when he stopped releasing so damn many records.
1: He okay. was able to pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: And he did. He did. He's not greedy.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of this stuff, you know, I'm I'm sure you can buy Spirit Electricity possibly from SST right now.
4: Yeah. Exactly. No, we gave him. Greg demanded perpetuity in his contract. So I was like, "What are you kidding?" And he was like. <laughs> <laughs> I could yeah. make it 25 years. No, perpetuity. <laughs> Jesus. Uh,
1: of the two shows that were recorded, was that it for recordings from the tour uh, other than the the stuff in Europe.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah well, that basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those are the only uh, the only real, you know, multi-track recordings of live shows. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, yeah. the the stuff that's on live is from one or both of those those shows then
4: yes yeah, both these records come from the same shows no question i'm sure of that okay um and even though this was not released till 91
1: right. right yeah yeah
4: but um the other thing is i can't get quite straight and I, you know phil would have to i have to get him to sit down and listen to the records again which he, i didn't get him to do i did listen to him but he didn't and he says you know one of the, the problems, he recorded, he mixed both these records at the same time
2: mm. in
4: 1987 or 88, 87 probably.
2: Yeah.
4: It was probably during the time when Eye Against I was just in release, you know, within a year of it anyway, yeah. for sure. And the only reason he got to do it was um, Greg was trying to get him to, to, trying to get us to get the thing mixed. Because we'd we told him we'd give him another record. From he gave us another couple of thousand dollars or something towards finishing the mix, or no, towards making a a a video. Mm. The video of a hired gun. Right. Yeah. A hired yeah. Um, Greg came across with it like maybe it was a thousand or two thousand dollars towards that. I mean, all this stuff cost the band as much as it cost us. He didn't pay for the live recording anything like that. right Greg like, was just notoriously cheap. <laughs> he was spending his money on some on um, releasing more whoever yeah, yeah. the other released the during these periods
1: uh the he, show that was recorded in amsterdam i how was that done? like there was a lot of recordings came out of that that venue i did they have like a steady access to a to a mobile unit or something? Do you know,
4: um, we we got um we got DPRO. That's
1: the mm, uh, yep the radio yeah the radio in
4: Amsterdam. We got them to record that.
1: Okay, yeah.
4: For or just that, they got and they got to um, they played it.
1: Oh yeah,
4: yeah. They played it. They they had the right to play it once or twice. It got played once or twice in the Netherlands.
1: Yeah,
4: and they gave us masters. You know, for having the masters, they we let them record it,
1: right? And, and play it. That's a and that's I a guess. pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I
4: mean, we got you know some publishing out of that, even. Yeah. For radio, my, my feeling was the Dutch and all of our promoters in Europe. They were all just a lovely bunch. I mean, they were all great. They did everything they could to make ours, our our lives work. They knew that. I mean, it's like. The first tours in Europe were just like digging trenches. I mean, I was, I came back, you know, far worse than broke. I, mean, I had yeah. to borrow money I could never have paid back. <laughs> <laughs> I told them as they're going in, I said, no, you know, this isn't gonna, you know, we're not getting right now. We're like, oh sure, it'll be, Sure enough, we did not make money. <laughs> it cost a fortune. Hotels oh. <laughs> Europe, <and>
1: those days. <laughs> Okay, so, so uh almost all of, in fact all of the songs on uh Spirit Electricity except for uh the date day tripper and she's a rainbow at least according to the liner notes were mixed by uh Eric Garten and Richard Ford. Do you know what the story is there like why the, so again according to the liner notes it was ju- the only track that was mixed by Phil would have been the the Beatles' Stones cover—I
4: find that hard to believe.
2: Yeah,
1: Bill
4: remembers what what they what they did was he went in one day. He was in L.A. He got he got flown out to L.A. by Alice Cooper, hmm. mixed stuff for them, right? And so he was in L.A. and he had some days off. So he went in and he took those tracks. And he did ruffs for both shows, the LA show and the Providence show. Okay. Right. Just to figure out what was worth mixing. Mm. Right. Yeah. What was best because a lot of people get tracks. the most of these tracks are on both
1: shows. Just to gauge the performances, basically.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so he did. He did a set of ruffs, and he. And then he went back, and he did real mixes, right? Mm-hmm. So he mixed the whole thing. Okay. Why their name was on there. He, he said that that, that uh, Ford was standing around acting like he like it, he was producing it or something like that, but Phil was paying no attention to him.
2: <laughs>
4: because it's just a mix. He was doing a mix, and he was not the producer, so he hadn't recorded it. He didn't have any vision, you know, whatever. It was all... Right.
1: Yeah, it says at uh, at for the record studios, and then it also lists El Dorado recording studios.
4: Right, Phil's work was all done at El Dorado. Yeah, as far as you can tell, what what is here? I mean, it's possible that they that it's their shitty mixes. Hmm. But he says, "But to him, he heard it, and he was like, why did they use my rough mixes instead of my real mixes?'
2: Uh-huh. But he
4: did real mixes." And hmm. you know these records don 't have the real mixes maybe maybe there are some tracks that are phil 's mixes uh. that were his what he considered real mixes he really he really actually ended up making a record that was a live record that I guess might be the live record now you had uh Daryl in on that one. what did Daryl have to say about those tracks? Did he remember anything? Did he know anything about the recording of this live record? Uh, I don't,
1: yeah, no, he didn't have any strong recollections about any of the details, really.
4: (laughs) No wonder he he doesn't want to do this anymore.
1: It's going back a ways, right?
4: Yeah. Not even a question of going back a ways. It's like, Daryl could have told you how the songs are written. Mm -hmm. He could have told you what it was like to perform them. But he probably wasn't even, he might have been aware, oh, we're recording tonight. Okay, whatever.
1: You know what I mean?
2: (laughs) Yeah.
4: What do you give a fuck? Oh, there's more wires on the stage than usual,
2: huh?
4: <laughs> I mean, honestly, he's a musician and he's a fucking good, great one. Yeah. I mean, without him, there wouldn't have been nothing to do. Yeah. But he didn't know really know what happened. Mm-hmm. Not that way, maybe he takes it more seriously now. He has his own studio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, you you mentioned the song "Hired Gun." I it's interesting. In regards to the set list, I'm I'm guessing they played relatively close to the same set list every night on the tour. But if you add the the songs "Return to Heaven" and "Let Me Help" from this EP onto what's on the live album, every single song from "Eye Against Eye" is represented between the two releases, except for the song "Hired Gun," which was the single. <laughs> that's, right. That's weird to me.
4: Yeah, that's kind of weird. I think "Hired Gun" kind of fell out of the set fairly early on. Hmm. Not sure why. Huh. I'm not sure why I got chosen as a single. It's like, I let the band make these decisions in those days. You know, I mean, I didn't have Eye Against Die yet. I didn't, you know, it's like I had it on a recording that had been done in D.C. a couple of years earlier. And it's on a, it's on a single. It's on a, an EP.
2: Hmm.
4: You don't know that EP? It's on um Victory.
1: Oh, you're talking the Omega Sessions?
4: Yes, the Omega Sessions. Right, yeah. So, and, but I loved the track. I was like, you we have to do this tra-. They were always like, nah, we're not going to do that track anymore. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? the <laughs> best track.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> they were never easy to deal with. So then it went with SST, and I had these kids from NYU wanted to make a video. I was like, okay, what are we going to do? Like, Rock for Light, maybe, or... No, let's do hired gun. They all want to do hired gun. <laughs> Good story and whatever. Right. So it is. Like a, it's like a story video. Yeah. Which is not where videos were going at that time, but you know it's an interesting piece.
1: Not necessarily and, the single, though. I would say.
4: And you know the only the only and besides coordinating the whole thing and paying everybody, paying for the tape or I mean the sixteen millimeter film and the processing. My involvement was at the very end. I was like, "Have him turn and shoot the gun at the camera." Like <laughs> it'll be like because that's the the great um, train robbery of nineteen three, which is the Porter's film, Edwin S. Porter's film. It was the first story film ever made. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it ends with this shot: or the cowboy turning to the camera and firing the gun at the camera. <laughs> Oh. she's like, "So i was like, yeah, do that. We did that, and then the cost of that shot, MTV said they they couldn't show it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because it was too scary. That right. the gun being pointed at the camera. I was like, what are you talking about? This is Ed, this is from the very first movie ever made.
1: Right? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Come on, what are you talking about? This?' And so I just said,' 'Well, we're not. It's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Black Rock and what the fuck?
1: Yeah, no kidding.
4: Yeah.'" MTV was just on the air. I mean, just coming to (laughs) existence.
1: So the song, the youth are getting restless. um,
4: Right. That's a great track. It is
1: a great track. Easily the band's, I would say most political song, HR kind of talking about, you know, South African apartheid and and things like that. What it was
4: about. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, Mandela was in prison at that point, being tortured. Yeah. Um, Bosa was the fucking government was the president, and it was just—it's like you look at the history of those that year. I mean, every day is a different massacre. They were just murdering black people in South Africa. They were, you know, they were not going to let it change, and it went on for years after that with with the support of the American government too. Reagan loved that. I mean, America is a racist shithole. I mean, the worst in the world at the moment, really. I mean, it's not, not historically. I guess maybe there are other countries that have been as bad, but really, at this moment, these last couple of hundred years, lead the pack. I'm afraid.
1: Was that something they talked about at the time, like in interviews and, and, and things like that, the band?
4: Not so much, no, not really. I, did, I don't remember him talking about it. I mean, HR might yeah. have. HR, I mean, you can, I mean, all of HR's lyrics are political. I mean, he's really, I mean... Not as you know, because this is a. It's kind of dubbish. It's kind of a. You know, it's a crossover kind of track. It, it's what's it like? I mean, it's not. A, it's reggae track, I guess.
1: There's some like uh, sounds at the beginning that sound like a synth. Is that Doc or is was somebody That's else? Doc. Has, yeah.
4: That is Doc. That's Doc, and that was Doc had just gotten that shit. We just bought this stuff, and he's trying to make it work. <laughs> and he that's those are sounds that he got and there's machine gun fire, he got yeah. that in there. Yeah. He he made that that uh that system that was the first digital synth guitar system.
1: Like a rack mounted thing or
4: something? Big rack mounted thing. So that was Doc, yeah. So this is an experimental track that way too. So it's a very experimental song. Yeah. And it's very it's a it's a it's an anthem. Right, I mean, serious.
1: Yeah, a- any idea uh, why they never did a studio version of that song, or maybe they did and it just never came out? Do you know?
4: No, there was a studio version of the song. No, no, they would just they would do it in, in concert occasionally. It was not you know, to be black in America in the eighties, having grown up in the seventies in in America, black in D.C. Mm-hmm. I mean, being political was a way to get yourself killed yeah. quickly. Yeah. So being overtly political was kind of—I don't think you know—I never had a conversation with him about not doing that. I mean, I was always—I was there because of that, right? Like, like this is it. this is as sharp a stick as I can poke them in the eye with and get away with it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because, because I'm that way, right? And I'm real—I mean, I'm, I'm appalled all the time.
1: <laughs> okay, so when the band got back from Europe uh, they played some more shows spring of 88 in the U S would these have been shows with HR or was Taj Singleton and, or, and Mackie in the band by that point?
4: 88 Mackie was in the band. We came back from yeah, the band came, you know, you no, know, I, I can't, I try to remember basically. I try to remember when, when it, when it all ended in 87, the, uh, you know, I mean, I can remember how it ended in '83. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about how, you know, we came back from the tour in '87, I guess from Europe again, and uh, HR just, you know, went off and made, made another uh, olive tree record or something like that. You know, he just wanted to do his own thing, wanted to do reggae, he didn't want to be a punk band. Right. Um, I don't remember. It wasn't. It wasn't a. Uh, you know, it wasn't a catastrophic end, otherwise, '83 you know, was like a, it was, a it was violent, right? Yeah, but '87 um, wasn't. So, so then it was then it was like that's when Doc and Darrell were like, okay, well, fuck this, we we'll yeah. just get some this thing. And Taj was around, so we tried to do it with Taj and. Played a few shows with Taj. I can't remember how many, maybe a dozen or so. We put I put together one tour,
2: yeah.
4: the East Coast, just the East Coast, and that stuff wasn't all. Doc got that stuff on tape. Darrell's mm. got copies too. I think mm. I don't have any copies of any of that stuff.
1: When you say Taj, of- when you say Taj was around, what do you mean? Like he he was a friend of the band?
4: Yeah, he was a friend of the band, and he wanted, he was a singer. Mm-hmm. And he wanted, he he had sort of been putting together a band of his own. lasted a little while, but that didn't really work out. So that kind of came unglued. And then then we found Mosley. Yeah. In New York, he was uh, he was touring on his own, basically,
1: with an acoustic
4: guitar. You know? <laughs> and he was good. So I loved him.
1: So uh, pre quickness was there a version of those songs with either Taj or Chuck Mosley on vocals? Do you
4: know? There, there was Taj on a, Taj on a few tracks. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get the sequence, of time sequence down. I have a feeling that we, you know, basically the Taj thing came apart in the studio. We went in the studio um, with what essentially was to be quickness. Mm-hmm. We recorded the all the rhythm tracks. We recorded the tracks with Mackie. Right. Yeah. But Todd didn't really have lyrics for the, for the record. Maybe only a song or two. Maybe it was just one, two. You know, it, he just it wasn't gelling. It wasn't working. So HR came back. He was given a tape, a cassette, of just the recorded rhythm tracks. Yeah with no lyrics at all. And we put him in a in a hotel up here. In, I mean, I'm in Woodstock. We put him in a hotel in Kingston. Yeah. And in three days, he wrote <laughs> that whole record.
1: Yeah, that's that's what they say. Yeah, that's crazy.
4: It's crazy, and it's so great. It's such a great record.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah.
4: I mean, HR is, is just like a font of creativity. At moments, he's been, like, just jaw-droppingly brilliant.
1: Yeah. Another unreleased Bad Bra- Brains recording. I don't know when this dates to, so maybe you know. Uh, this project that Doc had with Mackie and others called The Partners. What do you know about that?
4: <laughs> I don't. That must be recent?
1: I don't know. I don't know anything about it.
4: No, no I don't know.
1: Okay. Uh, What about the 2015 recordings, the Woodstock Sessions, they've been called with Jesse Royal on on vocals? That
4: stuff also I was not involved with. I stopped being with the band essentially in 2014. Ah, okay. And and after that, I mean, I've not been involved in anything.
1: Okay, so everyone knows that you were a full-time manager, I would say, of the Bad Brains, like, you know, a full-time job dealing with with them and i mean i think you like road managed them as well yeah yeah about
4: 35 years
1: yeah but you did manage yeah. to work with a few other bands uh yep yeah. uh black train jack
4: yeah yeah i managed to produce one record mm-hmm. the first record pretty good record i did that with steve rosenthal who's really a good engineer like feel okay somebody you can trust
1: and another uh new york band you and doc work together with token entry?
4: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did that did that record. We did one token entry record. There's a couple of other records too that Doc worked on. Essentially, I mean I think you know, and Phil would have been involved also. I would have gotten Phil to help with the mixing. Because that's a trick. Knowing how to do that stuff is something that it's beyond my expertise. I mean our live show that makes, but but to have something on a record <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's trickier so many bad mixes in the world, like this record is not very good mixes, and Phil says he thinks that they've actually they didn't they didn't they somehow used his rough mixes together
1: hmm. interesting
4: final, yeah, who knows maybe it's another situation where because it didn't happen right away. this is years later. We lost the masters or something, right? Yeah, they had one set of masters. They didn't have the finals. Who knows? Somebody took them home because Greg didn't pay the band.
1: Well, for me, <laughs> it, it might be down to the to the mix. But uh, for me, the the youth are getting restless. Album is, you know, the definitive live Bad Brains record.
4: No, oh, yeah, no, no, the yeah. Well, the Dutch, it was really recorded well. Yeah, and it was the, the audience. You know, that's a yeah you, know, you know the um Paradiso is like it's like a twenty five hundred theater yeah something like that twenty five hundred three thousand or something and those people were just like they just loved the band
1: European I audiences mean, are very appreciative the um
4: yeah that that the final track on the record um big takeover yeah that that rendition of big takeover. The my my stage manager Pippi Biancamano he 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 started taking the stage apart. I said, "Don't take the stage apart yet." The audience <laughs> was still clapping, stamping their feet. Yeah. The building—I thought we yeah. were going to damage the church. The old, this old church. <laughs> they were they, they were like jumping up and down. More, we want more, right? We yeah. wanted what more encore? The band was like, "Okay," and I had to go. I had to go get. Earl, out of the shower. <laughs> Earl, get dressed. You have to play. I'm not playing. You have to put. Yeah, I'm not doing. It. I got to the top of the stairs with, with Earl, pissed off. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not. I get, you know, like, pissed off. Top of the stairs with Pippi. He's unplugging shit. And I said, I told you, don't unplug. The, plug it all back in. Right. And he looked at me and was like, what are you talking about? I said, They're they're going to go on. They're going to do big takeover.
2: Right.
4: He didn't do it in the set and uh it's perfect. This is Europe, so you should do that. <laughs> <laughs> Pippi tr- threw me tried to throw me down the stairs of the Paradiso. If I hadn't grabbed the fucking rail <laughs> as I fell backwards, I'd have been dead. Wow. And he would have gone to prison and it would have been like that would have been like <laughs> Instead of that album happening, there would be like this weird thing that happened.
2: Right. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: he
4: pushed me backwards. And I went, what? I didn't know. I was like, oh, that's it. Yeah. But I
1: grabbed the
4: rail as I flipped over backwards.
1: That's wild. And keep myself from
4: going down this. And the stairs there are two stories, and they go down like Dutch stairs, like super vertical. Right. (laughs) Ridiculous. Doc and we okay, get We'll get them on stage. Everybody got on stage and they played that version of Big Takeover, which is fucking amazing.
2: Yeah. yeah, and it's
4: true. That record's a great live
1: record. Yeah, it really is. I know that you still keep in in touch with uh, some of the guys, at least because uh, you and I have talked, you know, sure. a number of times about but, it. Um, uh, how's Doc's health these days?
4: It's good. He's been he's been healthy.
1: Yeah,
4: and you know he he he's been through some stuff, and you know that that he was in a coma for a, for a week. Yeah, doesn't help his memory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, stuff comes back. I can have conversations with him, and he'll remember minutiae that I don't remember. And um, I just went through. I didn't. Nobody knows about this. When I was I was sick this year myself. I had a lymphoma that was really like. And I had to go be in the hospital for a long time, and I got all this chemo, and that affected my memory. So you put the two of us together; it's really funny. Wow. Well, I hope you're you're <laughs> uh, you're doing better now. I am. I'm doing a lot fucking better. That's I'm amazed.
2: Yeah.
4: I mean, fought through this thing and and got through it. I think you know so far, all the tests that they've given me so far, I think it is, uh clean.
1: That's good to hear. I'm,
4: i meant Weather this storm.
1: So I have <laughs> to, I have to ask. I know you don't work with with them as a band anymore, but do you think the Bad Brains would ever do something together again?
4: I would hope so. Yeah, I would hope so. And I know that HR, HR has like really, he has really strong moments.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I, I, I look forward to seeing. I was going to see him perform. A couple of times over this last six months, even, and um, I didn't get to because of different things that were happening with me that just made it like no, you have to be at the hospital that week. Okay, (laughs) H knew what was going on. Like, well, you'll get, you'll be fine. Don't worry, (laughs) you know that kind of thing. Yeah, supportive. But I have a feeling that it's it it would be possible. Yes, Hmm. you know, not going to be a tour. It would be a show. Right. Yeah, and. And it'll be an event.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> certainly would be an event.
4: Yeah, I mean, HR is strong these days. And, uh, you know, Doc can play his rhythm part. He can't play the lead cut. Mm. But we have another guitar player. I mean, he has another guitar player.
1: Oh, okay. Interesting. Um,
4: Where's his name at the moment? Rachel Haven, son,
1: who's a really brilliant guitar player,
4: can cop Doc's legs. Hmm. He's, he grew up working a doctor like cops that would be that would be the reinforcement. it would be a five piece thing instead of a four piece thing. And um I think it would, it would be fine.
1: Anthony, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it.
4: No problem, man. I appreciate I appreciate that you're you're doing this.
0: All right. So cool to have Anthony on and uh to join the Mojack family, as I said. Um definitely had to uh go back and kind of remind myself of all these names that he's just thrown out there like whoa you know there's i i know that bad brains are well documented but it still feels like there's stuff out there to find out still feels like (laughs) right like like there's still stuff out there um he's just mentioning band names and gigs and stuff like that i'm like what what you know so cool and uh very cool that you guys mentioned the uh, the Omega sessions out on Victory yeah. during that call. Um, I love I love that release, man. There's uh, some great great tracks on there, great versions on that, and uh, different mixes, different takes. That's a great EP that doesn't really get mentioned that much, though. Yeah, Anthony County, man. Like, wow,
1: for I don't know how many years, thirty plus years, managing w- one of the most unmanageable bands, I would say, in in music history right? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine being, cause he tour managed the band too. So he was on the road with them, imagining, watching greatness every single night and just coming so close to, to realizing their potential and it just having it not happen over and over and over again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It must've been totally heartbreaking.
0: It must have been, but you know, you can't take the fool's gold, man. I guess so, yeah. You cannot
1: take the fool's gold. These tracks that we've talked about many times the with Michael Nkrumah, and, uh, and if you remember, William Banks told us a few weeks back that they were coming out, and they are now out. So Michael Nkrumah is Ross Michael's son. He moved to D.C. from Jamaica in 1979 and formed, along with William and others, Michael Nkrumah and, and the Israelites. We've talked about all this before. This was circa 82. In 84, when the Bad Brains split for the first time, Michael moved to New York and started playing with Doc, Daryl, Billy Banks, Mackie Jason, and others, William, uh, of course. Michael's new release has three songs from these sessions, at least three songs. One song is called Sessions, or Session. It's a a cool funk rock song. Uh, It's clearly Doc shredding on it. You can hear it clear as day. Uh, Mitro Rider is just a like this straight reggae song uh, with some pretty wild keys on it, played, I believe, by Parliament Funkadelic legend Bernie Worrell. Mm. Time Will Never Stop is another kind of funk rocker. Again, clearly Doc on guitar. There's a bunch of other tracks on, on this Michael Nkrumah release. They don't specify who plays on which tracks, but some of the other names we know that are on this compilation... Uh, are Doc Knight, David Byers, Kenny Dredd, uh, Anthony County is listed as the manager. Maggie Jason isn't listed as a drummer on on the recording, so who knows? <laughs> like, uh, some of this you know Sly Dunbar is credited as a drummer, so and some of the tracks were recorded at Tough Gong, so like like all of these HR recordings, you know, and and now this Michael and Karuma, Recording. Who the hell knows who who all was involved? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you said earlier, there's just so much information that we'll just probably never know, or there's yeah. you know st- st- still stuff out there. Uh, WGBH in Providence, the uh, the radio station. It's still on the air. I was looking at their website a bit. Looks like like they have some cool programming. How about Anthony's and possibly Phil's theory that uh, the master tapes or Phil's mix. Uh, was lost by 91 when when SST
0: released this, so they used Phil's Rough Mix for this release. I listened to Live, Spirit Electricity, and The Youth Are Getting Restless a number of times this week. And, I mean, Spirit Electricity and Live definitely have some similarities. In fact, we saw one of these tracks before on the Live record. We'll get to that in History Lesson Part 2. I think, though, and, and in fact... You'll read this in uh, Greg Prado's book, the Punk Hardcore Reggae PMA, when he's talking about these recordings, like the, you, you mentioned with Anthony, the definitive live set is the youth are getting restless, but I think that live and spirit electricity sound better. That's what Greg Prado says too. I think they sound better. Okay. So are they, are they the rough mixes? Maybe, but they still kind of sound better than the youth are getting restless. Okay, well,
1: according to the liner notes on this album, Everything But Day, Tripper, and She's a Rainbow uh, was mixed by E and Richard Ford at For the Record Studios. Rich was, of course, SST production manager, who, I have to say it every time his name comes up, is like top five for dudes I want to interview. So, Rich, if you're out there, mojackpod at gmail.com, please. E is Eric Garten, house engineer for the record in Orange, Orange, California, not Orange County. Uh, Eric worked on tons of cool records, uh, some stuff on Dr. Dream, um, some of the bands we've talked about before. A few records by a favorite of mine, Mind Over 4, stuff by Game Face, Sense Field, and he mixed the Jack Brewer band Rockin' Ethereal album. Uh, He engineered Greg Ginn's album, Dick, and some other Ginn solo stuff. And we'll be seeing him again on episode 299, Poindexter Stewart, College Rock, and 253, Meat Puppets, Monsters. So we'll be seeing Eric Garten again. I know I've talked about, or we've talked about, Phil Burnett on our episode for live, so I won't go any further into him. Other than to remind our listeners, he engineered the self-titled album, by one of the greatest bands to ever come out of Canada, the Nils. Hey,
0: that's the tie-in.
1: That's the tie-in. Nice one. Yeah. Profile Records, yeah. that release. Amazing, amazing album. Uh, as previously stated, Ryan, this release uh, came out in 1991 as a 10-inch on several different colors of vinyl, also on CD and cassette, and it's also available digitally for those who, who don't own a coffee and want to listen along.
0: Yeah, I only have my old, scratched-up, 10-inch. My even even my cover has got some gunk on it. I don't know if we're gonna use mine for the uh, for all of the posting next week. We'll probably have to put a filter on it because it's just full of gunk. Get some fucking goo gone or something. <laughs> 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 I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, wreck the the rest of the cover by putting any abrasive substances or chemicals on here all right i don't know hey let's check out these tracks
3: history lesson part two
1: okay track one side one return to heaven i've always totally loved this song those you know the rapt verses that those big inhaled shrieks yeah that hr does uh, you know the operatic thing that he does in kind of the pre-chorus i've said on previous episodes and i stand by this you know how I wish they would have done more records with Israel on vocals or or one of the other vocalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you hear this, you can un- I think understand why that was you know easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Goes without saying, also a solid, rock solid performance from the from the band as always.
0: Oh yeah, as always. I mean, I mentioned already just Doctor No's absolute fret annihilation on this record, but, uh, Daryl's bass playing is so solid and, and Earl's, Earl's drumming just sounds so effortless. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's super intense, but also really laid back. Just amazing. Yeah.
1: Track two, let me help. So I went on YouTube to see if there's any performances of them doing this. Um, cause I wanted to see who was doing the backing vocals. I think it's both Doc and Daryl, uh, and there's an insane performance from Fender's Ballroom in Long Beach, November twenty second, nineteen eighty six. Who knows? That might even have been the show that this was recorded at, because uh, it was also recorded in L.A., but it doesn't specify where. Mm. H.R. You know, beating his chest. The you know, the whole band just a total explosion of energy and aggression, just so intense. Uh, there's also a great performance from the Ritz in New York, Doc just like throwing his head back and just dive bombing. <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> awesome. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: it's a good one. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a great EP. I wish you could get like live and this as, you know, remastered double LP with bonus tracks or oh, something. Dude,
1: don't even get me started. Right, like I've said before, if SST was a normal label, this complete sessions would be out by now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, track three, "Day Tripper," she's a rainbow. This is kind of a dub reggae mashup. The, the Beatles' tack, track "Day Tripper" and the Stones "She's a Rainbow," credited, of course, to Lennon, McCartney, and Jagger Richards. Mostly, I, I would say, original lyrics from HR, other than yes. the choruses, kind of. Agreed. Phil Burnett, I, who did live sound for this, adding some, some nice dub effects into the mix. I, I assume they were doing this on the whole tour, possibly, because it's also on, on The Youth Are Getting Restless. It's okay, but just okay for me.
0: And this is the same version on the live record, too, right? SST-160? Yeah. As As a bonus on the CD, and is it on the cassette? I think maybe just a bonus on the CD.
1: Yeah, it's not on the LP, I know that. I actually forgot it was on the CD because I've, I've only ever owned live on LP.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Uh, side 2 starts with a a couple of early Bad Brains bangers banned in DC. I For me, I know this is sacrilege, but I'm just not as into into that earlier, like the RAR tape and the Rock for Light era material as I am uh, Eye Against Eye and especially Quickness. I've talked mm-hmm. about that before.
0: I get that. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I don't I don't hate you for it. <laughs> I don't fully agree with it,
1: but I understand it. Well, I mean, I have those albums and you know, I do listen to the earlier stuff, but I just well, pre- look, I prefer the more rock and metal influenced stuff to the to the hardcore.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I'm keeping it real, I probably listen to uh I Against Eye, Quickness, and God of Love most of all and Rise. Those are probably my top 4 listens for Bad Brains. So yeah. Yeah, I think Rise is, over,
1: or is underrated for me. Right? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I listened to that album too. Uh, the second one is Attitude. Again, I appreciate the speed they were playing at on these early songs and, and the precision, but for me, you know, the later stuff is is just more creative, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then the final track, The Youth Are Getting Restless, an almost eight-minute dub reggae tour de force. Uh Anthony confirmed in the interview, that's Doc playing the, the guitar synth effect for the first few minutes. You've got H.R. singing about revolution. Uh, Botha, who was the prime minister of South Africa for the first half of the 80s, for some of the most brutal years of apartheid. Um, that country was also involved in all of the Cold War politics of that era, hence the the references to Margaret Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. Uh, he references the Soweto uprising in 1976, at least I think that's what he's talking about, where the mm. government crackdown resulted in, in hundreds of deaths and, and 900 arrests. This version is more than uh, twice as long as the version on the Youth Are Getting Restless album. And although, like I said, I, I generally prefer that album, this version on the EP is superior to
0: me than the the other one. Yeah, it seems like H.R. is really feeling it, and the crowd in this when he's rapping over top of the dub, right? Yeah, that one doesn't have like Doc doing the machine gun effects.
1: Um, Yeah. (laughs) In in that version, H.R. and I love reggae. I love roots reggae, but H.R. does this kind of I don't know what you call it ragamuffin reggae rap thing that I just I just don't like it. It Just annoys Mm. me.
0: And the youth are getting restless version? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to compare them more closely. I don't. I don't know what you're getting at. Yeah. You'll know when you hear it. Okay. Do you want to give me a sample? Like, can you? No. Uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. It just makes me think of that shitty uh, Canadian dude Snow. That song oh. In former. You know? Oh. Oh. Okay. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. Um but that's it that's the EP we've got some photography by Na- Naomi Peterson
0: yeah, great pictures yeah that's awesome
1: I'm assuming she took that crowd shot that's on the front cover
0: too yeah I do like the artwork on the front cover the sun and the bad brains and the the crowd photography it's a great album cover I love it yeah and uh and the tie-in with the front lettering and the lettering on the back it's just a great complete. Bad Brains visual package with Naomi's pictures. Oh man, that classic logo. To me, that's the Bad Brains
1: logo. Like I could, I could and still can draw that perfectly and have like a thousand times. <laughs> that's the fisheye lens logo, hey? Yeah. yeah. No dead wax on the LP, I don't believe, Ryan?
0: Uh, not on mine, no. Ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. Hey, uh, I was just thinking before we. Ho- this is a little out of sequence, but um, I forgot when I was speaking to DH passing away. Uh, as of as of the last twenty four hours or so that we're recording this show, um, there's some great there's some great stories about DH in that recent book I spieled about Anarchy at the Circle K. Oh yeah, on tour with Dead Kennedys. So get DH's book. Read Anarchy at the Circle K, put on your own personal copy of this uh, Dead Kennedy's VHS that I've got here, and uh, keep thinking about DH. But let's uh, let's see, man. Um, this is one of those ones where they're all pretty darn good. I would definitely cut Day Tripper, because for me, as you know, phony Beatlemania has bitten the dust, but uh, where are you sitting? i got to go with either Return
1: to Heaven or The Youth Are Getting Restless. Wow, you'd go with the youth is getting restless, hey?
0: Yeah. Okay. You know what? I would throw my hat in for Return to Heaven just because I I really got into Earl's grooves and Doc's shredding on that one. I uh, can't help it. I can't help it. I'm, I'm in on that. Okay, let's do it.
1: All right. Hey, thanks to Anthony for being on the show. Um, you know, it's <laughs> getting to talk to, to people involved with HR, solo career, or bad brains is tough, man. So always
0: nice to get some insight. Yeah, absolutely. Totally appreciate it. And you know, like, we're building up the MoJack archives. Yeah. And let's get rich on the show, right? Yeah, right, yeah. You um, mean financially? <laughs> no, I mean Rich <laughs> Ford. <laughs> we're not getting rich financially. I'm spending my kids' college funds on this show. Right, right. Um. All right, man, should we talk about next week? Yeah, what is next week? Next week, Brant, it's SST 229, the paper bag improvised my ass LP. Can't wait.
1: Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MoJackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content.